Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Lawyers, Guns, and Money, Real Crimes, Real Trial Lawyers. I'm your host, Shelley Lovesay, and today I will be discussing and asking and answering questions that the Howell family wanted posed to Mr. Julius Jones at the clemency hearing and that were not, and to provide to all of you listening the truth as I can see it based on the trial transcript and the evidentiary hearing transcripts. The first question was asked Julius Jones if he was ever an honor student at the University of Oklahoma, or was he ever involved in any OU sports programs? Well, the answer to that question is that he flunked out of the University of Oklahoma. His GPA when he left the University of Oklahoma was .08, which is possibly one of the worst I've ever seen. He lost his presidential scholarship, and he had never been involved in any of the sports programs at the University of Oklahoma. The next question was, have him explain his past criminal behavior, his three felony convictions, and his extensive arrest record prior to the murder of Paul Howe, including the two armed carjackings only days before. Well, he can explain them. And probably what he's going to say is the same thing that he said at the clemency hearing, that those lawyers were ineffective too. And I want to point out a few things specifically in regards to the Mercedes carjacking at, from the Hideaway Pizza. First of all, he pled guilty. He did not plead no contest. He did not plead guilty pursuant to Alford, which is a decision that would allow you to plead guilty while still maintaining your innocence. He did not elect to plead either of those things. He pled guilty, and he hand-wrote the allocution or the statement of what he did. And he hand-wrote that he stole a Mercedes, and he spelled Mercedes M-E-R-C-E-D-E-Z. Now, not only is that typical gang spellings, but it's important because when that Mercedes was found— at the Norman apartment complex of Julius Jones, it had a paper tag on it, and Mercedes was spelled M-E-R-C-E-D-E-Z yet again. And it's also very important to note that that paper tag was sent to a handwriting analysis expert, and that handwriting analysis expert said without question the handwriting on the paper tag matched the handwriting of Julius Jones. Now, Mr. Smotherman tried to ask him questions on the clemency, and he just kept claiming, well, I've been told that I didn't know. It's nonsense. He's evading the truth. He's evading the record. In addition, because he was on death row, that plea had to be approved by Bob Rabbits. He is the chief public defender. He has been in that position uh, since the 70s, certainly as an assistant public defender, and then he's been the chief public defender for decades. And that plea would not have gone through without his approval. He also claimed that, well, I kind of had this new public defender that didn't know what he was doing, he also failed to mention that he also had Tim Wilson, who was the second in charge of the Public Defender's Office, who is a Clarence Darrow award winner, award winner, 
And for those of you that don't know what that means, Clarence Darrow obviously was a very famous lawyer. And every year, the Oklahoma Criminal Defense Lawyers Association give out awards to an exceptional criminal defense lawyer. Tim Wilson was a previous recipient. So when it comes to answering questions and the truth, Mr. Jones avoided them like the plague in that clemency hearing and just continued to blame other people and to say, well, his lawyers talked him into it and he didn't understand. murder. And I also want to point out that just because he had three prior felony convictions from three different acts, that probably means he had committed five to ten times as many crimes because those are the only ones he got caught with. But let's talk about the ones he got caught with. His arrest dated back to 1995 when he was 15 years old. He was stealing from a footlocker store at Quail Springs Mall. He pushed the store clerk when confronted about the theft, um, but was apprehended before he could get away. So again, he said he'd never been convicted of a crime of violence. Again, that is incorrect. Uh, that is robbery with assault. That is certainly violent. In 1998, he pled guilty to unlawful use of a fictitious name in an application for an ID. That proves he was a liar back in 1998. Then also, later in 1998, he was driving a car without uh, a proper tag light when he is attempted to be pulled over by police. He fled from them, accelerating up to 50 miles an hour in a residential area before finally stopping. When they um, stopped the car, inside his vehicle they found gloves, a screwdriver with torque bits, flashlight, pliers, wheel caps, and bolts, broken pieces of automobile automobile glass, speaker boxes. Um, the passenger admitted to the police that the two men had stolen spinners and the speaker box from a car. And they had done that a few nights earlier, according to his co-defendant in that case. But I go into that to say that the fact that he was caught in the car with all of those things, again, indicates that he was a career criminal. This was something he was doing every single day. It wasn't like he went out and made one or two bad choices. This was the way he was living. Also, a few days later, uh, he stole a CD player from Walmart and then pawned it and pled guilty to false declaration uh, to a pawnbroker and concealing stolen property. The day after that, he stole four pagers from a Target store and pled guilty to felony shoplifting. A month later, he was caught stealing shirts from Dillard's. Then he stole more items from Walmart and Norman. And in some of what he was stealing then, he was stealing pliers and bolt cutters again. Then in February of 99, uh, a man visiting Quail Springs Mall set his keys down. They were taken and his car was stolen. Mr. Jones was arrested in that same stolen car and uh, was found to be in possession of a loaded 380 caliber handgun on the driver's side floor door, floorboard. Uh, Jones admitted that he purchased the car knowing, with no knowledge it was stolen, accelerated and made a quick turn as soon as the officer started to follow him. Again, just like he is today, that's not a credible statement at all. It would be better not to say anything. But he admitted to his girlfriend that they had stolen that car. And in that car, they also found gloves and women's pantyhose, matching the M.O. of what he was doing from time to time. 
1998, he pawned gold chains that he stole from Quail Springs Mall. So my point here is that Mr. Jones was by no means an innocent student, someone trying to do things the right way. He was a one-man crime wave. He was a habitual offender. That's why we have the habitual offender statute was for people like Julius Jones. It's Mr. Jones. Why did you accuse Chris Jordan of stealing that hideaway, the Mercedes from Hideaway Pizza, when you pled guilty and you were seen driving it? You swore under oath to a judge that you committed that crime. Now, I found it very convenient that you were not sworn in under oath and penalty of perjury when you gave your statement in front of the pardon and parole board. So, were you lying in front of the pardon and parole board, or were you lying in 2006 when you went before a judge? Were you lying when you pled guilty to all these other crimes? Were you... So you can't have it both ways, Mr. Jones. You're either a liar in 2006 and in 1999... And in 2002, particularly also in 2002, when you went in front of Judge Jerry Bass and he asked you if anyone had forced you to testify, and Mr. Smotherman went over these questions with you specifically, and you said you didn't understand, you didn't want to show emotion, but yet you told something very different to Judge Bass. So were you lying in 2002 or were you lying in 2021? Again, we know you're lying. Additionally, Mr. Jones chose not to testify at the 311 hearing after hearing Mr. McKenzie and Mr. Savage testify that he told them he was not at home on the night of the murder and that he was on the South Side. I think that's very interesting that you chose not to swear under oath that they were lying. But I think it's also interesting that you tried to claim your lawyers talked you out of it then. And your lawyer at the 311 hearing was Gina Walker, or at least she was one of them. And she was a supervisor at the public defender's office during his murder trial. Miss Walker testified under oath because she became a witness in the middle of this 311 hearing because Miss McPhail claimed that she complained about Mr. McKenzie and Mr. Savage to her supervisor wanting off the case or wanting them off the case. And what Miss Walker said to the court under oath was that Robin McPhail never mentioned the alibi being a problem during the murder. She never told Gina Walker, look, they're just not going to call this alibi, and I think this is a really valid defense. That was not what she complained about. She complained about personnel issues among the team. And again, Gina Walker was a very well-respected public defender in the state of Oklahoma. So these claims that she was also ineffective are hard to swallow. And I believe Ms. Walker stated to other public defenders that that alibi defense was nonsense and that was a non-starter, but they were doing their best to help Mr. Jones. We would also like to know, Mr. Jones, that why did you write letters to your girlfriend and tell your girlfriend that you were on the South Side the night of the murder? Why did you write her letters telling her to forget everything and to act like you don't know anything if you want me to come home? 
I don't think he has an answer for that because he knows the reason he told her that was because what she was going to say was incriminating. And another thing I noticed in the presentation by what I we call Team Arizona, that there was not one shred of attack against Miss Presley. So no one has challenged her testimony other than the original cross-examination at trial, but she has not been impeached. Also, Mr. Jones, why are your lawyers saying that there was some secret plea deal for Christopher Jordan when even the Pardon and Parole Board member Morris that voted to grant you clemency said that everyone knows that Christopher Jordan served the amount of time he was supposed to serve on a 30-year sentence. Why are you still making that argument? And in particular, Mr. Jones, can you explain why your DNA was found on the red bandana and Christopher Jordan's was not? Can you explain why your attorneys hid this information from District Attorney David Prater, even though the court order said they were entitled to it? Can you explain why District Attorney Prater had to go and get a court order in order to get access to the DNA evidence? Is it because it showed you were a liar? Is it because it would show that you're guilty of this crime? Mr. Jones, the Howell family would also like to know, why did your attorney Amanda Bass lie about what Malcolm Savage testified to in the 311 hearing? Why did Mr. Smotherman have to point out from the record what Mr. Savage said? And what Mr. Savage said is that we heard it from Julius Jones that he was not home on the night of the murder. Why is your attorney lying? Why are you continuing to commit crimes in prison by possessing cell phones and engaging in other gang activity? Why did you get 456 pyro blood tattoos while you were in prison? And most importantly, Mr. Jones, can you explain why another inmate and Mr. King said that you talked about a little girl waving at you before the gun went off at Mr. Howell? Can you explain how anyone other than the murderer would know that Rochelle Howell waved at you before you executed her father in front of her? Can you explain that? How would Mr. King know a little girl waved? Mr. King does not fit the description of Megan Toby. How would a fellow inmate know? Answer those questions, Mr. Jones. P.T. Barnum once said that there was a sucker born every minute. And your smoke and mirrors defense has made a sucker out of the American people. I read somewhere that you worshipped Allah. Well, I suggest you start praying to Allah that Governor Stitt and his general counsel, Trevor Pemberton, don't read the trial record. They don't read the 311 evidentiary hearing. They don't look at the exhibits. And they don't compare him to what you've said. Because if they do, you're going to have a very bad day on November 18th. Because it's the lies that are going to get you, Julius. And you're right. It's time. It's time for justice for Julius. And justice for Paul Howell.